Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health, and with me, as always, are my colleagues and fellow Associate Editors, Kevin Drewley and Barry Bettino. This is our June 2022 episode, the 28th in podcast history. Wherever or however you're listening today, we thank you for spending some time with us. We know that your time is valuable and it's greatly appreciated. June is also National Safety Month and we'll have a series of four mini episodes available this month. Those mini episodes will cover musculoskeletal disorders, workplace impairment, injury prevention, and slip trips and falls. So please tune in for those mini episodes along with your regularly scheduled full-size episode. We know that many of you have had a unique journey into the safety profession. We want to hear more about it for our My Story feature in our magazine. We invite you and your colleagues to submit your personal stories about how you got into the safety field by emailing us at safehealth at nsc.org. You can also view past My Story entries and catch up on other news from around the safety world on our website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com. In this month's episode, Barry will take us on a deep dive in his feature on inexperienced workers. We'll also be joined by Carrie Usry to discuss workplace housekeeping. And we're back for a second straight month to tell you what we learned. Is everybody ready? Let's go. Each month here at On the Safe Side, we take a look at a feature story from the latest issue of Safety and Health Magazine, which we call our Deep Dive segment. In the June issue, Barry writes about inexperienced workers who are occupying more gaps in the workforce of late as labor shortages continue amid the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The feature looks at where this occupational safety trend is going and how employers can keep inexperienced workers safe on the job. Barry, whenever you're ready, could you please take your mark and lead us onto this latest deep dive? Well, thank you very much, Kevin, for the introduction. And so just driving around my community, I can spot plenty of help wanted and, and now hiring signs at various businesses, uh, from coffee shops to bookstores to manufacturing facilities and automotive repair shops and warehouses. Uh, it seems everyone is looking for workers amid the pandemic. In this story, we wanted to focus on how the increased need for workers in industries across the country may be impacting safety. And safety professionals have noticed this workforce issue too. Uh, John Newquist, who runs his own safety training business in Illinois, um, he's a former OSHA area director. And he told me that's not unusual in his area to see companies with signs out in front of their locations promoting what they offer workers. Um, and he's even seen an advertising truck driving around promoting the starting salary of a local warehouse facility. Uh, in the Philadelphia area, uh, Kim Esposito, one of our sources, is the Director of Safety and Risk Management at HSC Builders and Construction Managers. And she said when it comes to the construction trades, she's noticing more television ads and attention on the local news about the trades being an alternative to college, which she said is a, is a much needed push. Now, when we talk about inexperienced workers, uh, sometimes our first thought goes to younger workers, uh, those who are in high school, those who are just out of high school, or young people who are just working a job for the very first time. But when it comes to inexperienced workers, that's not always the case. And Bruce Loeffner, who is a technical safety advisor for the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation, said that in today's employment landscape, you can have more mature workers starting a job that they've never done before. And those new and inexperienced workers can face risks when they're in brand new situations. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that in 2020, about 10% of all injuries and illnesses 
that resulted in days away from work in private industry involved a worker with less than three months experience on the job. Similarly, the National Safety Council's Injury Facts online database shows that non-fatal injuries among workers with less than three months on the job increased by 8.4% in 2020. And the concern for safety professionals and OSHA, of course, is how to keep these inexperienced workers safe. And the answer is through various efforts, starting with onboarding. So Barry, are there any specific onboarding or training needs that inexperienced workers require? Well, Alan, the sources I spoke with talked openly about the need for what they call the robust onboarding, uh, along with training that happens sort of at a continual pace with a, a variety of opportunities for learning. Uh, when it comes to onboarding, Bruce Loeffner in Ohio said a program for new workers and inexperienced workers uh, must be significant, and it has to go way beyond the normal safety orientation and compliance issues. Now, a lot of times, as Bruce said, that Orientation can be a giant information dump. Uh, frankly, it's a lot for a new worker to take in in a new industry. Now, what Kim Esposito and her team do with inexperienced workers is they have small group meetings. Uh, she said ensuring a heightened awareness on safety involves sitting down with a new worker along with a safety manager to go over processes, procedures, situational awareness, and a 360-degree safety check on a job site. And those 360s are especially valuable for inexperienced workers to learn about. Uh, Kim said that when those workers go out on a job site, they have the knowledge to stop and say, okay, let me do a 360 and check my area. Uh, and for HSC, it has positively impacted how they onboard inexperienced workers before they ever go out in the field. Kim is also an executive committee member of the Mid-Atlantic Construction Safety Council, which includes safety pros from four different states in the Northeast. And she said that inexperienced workers is a topic that's discussed among the council and ideas are regularly shared. One of the training exercises that has impacted inexperienced workers at her organization, according to Kim, is doing mock OSHA inspections. Um, they start with an opening conference, for example, and they go all the way through to a closing conference. And in between, uh, she said they go through, quote unquote, every nook and cranny of a project. And some of the most valuable feedback her team gets on these mock inspections is from younger inexperienced workers. Um, she often hears them say, wow, that was really enlightening or well, we didn't think about that. And, and these create an opportunity to learn and to grow for inexperienced workers. Now, John Newquist said he's a big fan of ongoing learning for these workers. And, and some of the things he notices that are most valuable are, are weekly toolbox talks, um, monthly safety meetings, and a check-in after 30 days to see what workers have retained, and also to learn about where their knowledge gaps might be. This way, training can be individually tailored to a worker and a safety professional or manager can regularly reassess that worker's skills. How do current employers and managers play a role in helping inexperienced workers? Well, Kevin, this can look different depending on the job or the industry, of course. And Bruce Loeffner mentioned that the support for inexperienced workers has to start at the very top of an organization with its CEO. And this culture has to filter down to supervisors and managers. And it also has to be strongly reinforced by employers. One big way is through a mentor or a buddy system. 
And Bruce said the value of these relationships for an inexperienced worker can be huge. Um, he said there are studies that point out that when workers are paired with an experienced person, they tend to stay longer at a job. And he said mentorship programs build confidence in employees. Uh, mentors are there to help warn a new employee about what's going to happen next because they may not know. It helps them integrate into an organization faster and helps them integrate better into the safety culture of an organization. One of the most powerful comments that Bruce shared about mentors and buddies is he said, in the beginning, they are their brother's keeper. And when we think of a mentor, sometimes our mind goes to the most senior person on a job. Um, that person has the most experience, right? But that's not always the case. Uh, Bruce said that employers should seek out mentors who have embraced the core values of your organization. And sometimes it can take some time to find that right person. Uh, John Newquist shared a couple of strategies that he's seen uh, working at various companies when he's trained workers. Uh, he mentioned that at a manufacturing facility, for example, a senior person uh, will run a machine through a couple of cycles, then ask the inexperienced worker that to take over. And this allows for sort of a hands-on mentorship. That buddy or that mentor is watching closely and making sure the new worker is both competent and comfortable. In a factory setting, he said that cleaning out a mixer, for example, isn't uh, just a one-person task anymore. A buddy or a mentor will partner with an inexperienced worker to walk through the entire process, passing down knowledge as they go. This part didn't make the story, but John brought up a very interesting point about social media. He said 10 years ago, he didn't see the interaction of various safety professionals that he does today. And now through Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter groups, he's seeing safety pros who bring up issues such as training inexperienced workers. And groups of safety pros are sharing information and tips about what they do that works and openly helping other people in the safety community. And that sort of sharing and camaraderie is really refreshing. And John told me, uh, it's really eye-opening to see and even I learn things. Well, thank you once again, Barry, for your work on this story. If you want to read more about inexperienced workers or other topics and news from around the safety world, please check out the June issue of Safety and Health Magazine or visit www.safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Every safety professional has a unique story. So what's yours? Safety and Health Magazine wants to hear about your unique path into the occupational health and safety field for our My Story column. Email your submission to safehealth.com at nsc.org to share the road you traveled in your career journey of keeping workers safe and healthy. Housekeeping isn't just an occasional or one-time cleanup. Uh, when it comes to effective safety and health programs, housekeeping should be top of mind because it can reduce incidents and injuries, make your workplace run more smoothly, and even improve morale. With us this month for our five questions with segment to discuss housekeeping, is Carrie Usry, the Vice President of Operations at Safety Stratus. Carrie is a popular safety speaker, including at the National Safety Council's Annual Congress and Expo, which is where I met him last year when I had the pleasure of moderating one of his sessions in Orlando. Carrie will also be joining us this fall at our 2022 NSC event in sunny San Diego, which is scheduled for September 19th through the 21st. Carrie, we thank you so much for joining us on the safe side. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Where we want to start with you, Carrie, is I wanted to ask, housekeeping isn't just how your workplace appears to visitors. Uh, what does it entail and how can it make workplaces safer? 
Certainly. And that's a very valid question. And interestingly enough, uh, I've even heard of housekeeping is uh, being seen as a cultural proxy. What I mean by that is um, uh, if you have bad housekeeping uh, visually uh, and it's uh, visually impossible to hide, what else in your health and safety program are you bypassing? So from an inspector who visited a, a number of job sites, that's often uh, one of the first clues that you get. And besides the obvious safety implications, uh, poor housekeeping, as you mentioned, can lead to you know poor morale with workers. Uh, if it's not clean, uh, if it doesn't look clean, uh, who wants to be there? And most people are at their workplace longer than they are at home. Um, but housekeeping certainly does involve picking up trash and keeping things orderly. Um, and keeping walking and working services uh, clean uh, does lend itself to improve safety from hazards such as slip strips and falls. However, that's just the beginning. Uh, some best practices, like in lean manufacturing, they have 5S or 6S if you include safety. They offer cleanliness along with operational productivity and quality incentives. Uh, this includes broader topic of material storage and even uh, large warehouses. And good housekeeping can also lend itself to green initiatives, uh, environmental initiatives to reduce, reuse, recycle. In addition, reducing hazards through selection of less harmful chemicals, uh, such as through cleaning, can be attributed. Uh, in addition, a clean house um, allows for leaks and spills and other hazards to be more easily discovered before they lead to larger issues. And speaking of chemicals, uh, where chemicals are stored as part of housekeeping, and also linked to fire safety. And in some areas of the country, it can even be life-saving. Uh, when I visited a construction work site in Arizona, there were signs everywhere warning of maintaining housekeeping. Why? Pests like uh, rattlesnakes and uh, other vermin like to use the debris during construction to hide. So as you go to pick up a piece of trash and all of a sudden there's a rattlesnake underneath, that's not good. Uh, and lastly, housekeeping is a fundamental aspect of life safety specifically related to fire prevention, emergency response, and even things like infection control and interim life safety measures in hospital settings. Uh, issues such as material storage that block exits or sprinklers or um, even material stored in stairwells all linked to both housekeeping and fire prevention. So yes, housekeeping is certainly more than meets the eye. <laughs> With that, Carrie, what are some of the most common housekeeping efforts that workers and employers should be aware of? Sure. Although it may seem basic, it's vitally important to the health and well-being of workers. In addition, housekeeping should be a systemic requirement and not a weekly or monthly task. And what I mean by that is, <clears throat> for example, blocked exits or putting material in front of IWAS stations or uh, electrical cabinets, um, uh, anything that blocks exits or egress, uh, even in walkways and things like that. This is something that goes on on a daily, minute-by-minute minute, uh, basis. Whether you're in construction, in an office, in a warehouse, it doesn't matter. Um, so common housekeeping efforts, it, it, it is a kind of a duty of doing work. It shouldn't be an afterthought or a task that gets accomplished on a checklist, you know, at the end of the month. Hey, let's go do a housekeeping kind of cleanup. Understandably, in construction, right, where, you know, you constantly have debris, uh, at the end of the day or, you know, uh, several times during the day, you can have an ongoing effort uh, and it's harder to keep up, uh, but it should certainly not be an afterthought. It should be an ongoing thing. 
So factories, warehouses, and manufacturing plants are among the workplaces that can benefit from a focus on housekeeping. Are there any other more unique settings where it's important as well? So, oh, absolutely. I think any workplace, uh, even, even if you work out of your vehicle, uh, it can be important. Uh, we previously mentioned construction sites as it relates to snakes and other vermin. And besides pests, good housekeeping on construction sites actually aids in fire prevention. I have pictures saved on my computer uh, where there are mountains of packing material. You know, when you unpack un, uh, furniture, for example, you have all that uh, styrofoam and cardboard and, and plastic wrap and things like that, and it's strewn everywhere. And when I ask people to spot the hazard, most laugh and just, you know, say, hey, if I fell, at least it's soft, right? And they call out housekeeping as it relates to just trash removal. However, the biggest risk there is a fire in these situations, right? If, if you're in the middle of that and all of a sudden it lights up, it's going to go quick and spread very quickly. So construction uh, in, in many aspects. Uh, laboratory safety is another one. And the reason being is chemicals are, are, are used uh, minute by minute. Clutter and poor housekeeping can lead to spills, to chemical exposure, uh, and environmental concerns, just to name a few. For example, if janitorial comes in late, uh, you have an unmarked uh, beaker or container, they pour it down the sink, that could be bad. Um, uh, you know, if you leave it uh, laying around and it gets knocked over, right, it could, you know, and it's not under a fume hood, uh, that could be very bad. So <clears throat> most places, and, and again, even when you think of vehicles, uh, anything, any powered industrial vehicle, any regular vehicle, you don't want anything that can get stuck between your foot and the gas pedal, uh, your foot and the brake, uh, or anything like that. So when you see all these things in the back of people's cars uh, or Kleenex boxes, right, that could lead to projectiles if you hit the brakes hard, or it could lead to something getting lodged underneath, um, you know, your operating uh, equipment and it's not there when you need it. It'd be hard to hit the brakes when you got a, a Kleenex box wedged underneath it. So. Uh, I think everywhere uh, it's important. Obviously, the importance varies. Uh, some are more crucial than others. Um, uh, but I think housekeeping certainly plays a part in overall safety uh, in any workplace. Carrie, how can housekeeping become sort of a, a pillar of safety and health? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I want to kind of take that from a couple different angles, if you don't mind. In the past 20 years plus, right? Uh, safety professionals have adhered to Heinrich's Triangle, which I'm sure a lot of people are aware of. And in Heinrich's Triangle, he says for every 300 accidents with no injuries, there are 29 incidents with minor injuries and one major injury. And this led both organizations and safety professionals to focus on high frequency, low severity issues. Why? Because if I focus on those, I reduce my injury rates, right? And that's important to safety professionals and organizations because that's usually how they measure safety right? And that's usually how they measure, are we getting better? Uh, and it does work, right? The Bureau of Labor Statistics cites non-fatal injury rates they've dropped year over year for decades, right? Going on over 20 years, year over year reductions. However, fatal injuries have not only plateaued, they're rising. Why is that? Because focus on minor issues will fix minor issues. It takes a focus on major issues to fix major issues. So housekeeping is easy to observe and address uh, because it's easily seen. So I'm not saying it's not important, but housekeeping has to be part of a systematic, holistic approach. 
a single facet cannot be more important and supersede other important issues. So as we talked about, housekeeping can be that, hey, I'm going to go through and make sure trash is put away and we clean up and sweep up. That is important. But we can't ignore fire prevention, right? We can't ignore some of the other pillars, right, like fall protection and confined space entry and electrical lockout, tagout, control of hazardous energy, right? So we can't focus on because it's high frequency, right? We can't focus on it's easily to see and observe, right? It has to be, you know, uh, a pillar. It takes more than one pillar to, to keep a building or a structure, you know, um, whole. Uh, so the same thing can be said. Housekeeping can be a pillar, uh, but it can only be, it needs to be more than just that pillar. It has to be uh, more focused on other areas than just housekeeping. I hope that makes sense. OSHA covers housekeeping in standards such as 1915.81. Are there other OSHA standards and additional resources where our listeners can learn more? Certainly. Actually, OSHA has a lot of um, uh, standards. 1915 is actually for shipyards specifically. They have 1910 and general industry references housekeeping in many subparts. Uh, subpart D has a requirements for housekeeping and walking working surfaces. Subpart E has requirements for exit routes and emergency planning. Subpart J has requirements for general environmental conditions such as sanitation. Subpart N has requirements specific to material handling and storage. Um, subpart Q, welding, cutting, and brazing specifically calls out housekeeping requirements before work. Uh, for example, when you do a hot work permit, one of the things says is, uh, hey, if you have anything combustible around the area, remove it, uh, which is a housekeeping uh, component. Um, and even PPE uh, has requirements. For example, your respirators have to be stored in a clean and dry space. Uh, so they don't become deformed or, you know, they're, they're clean when you go to use them. Uh, 1926 for construction calls out requirements as well. And although many in general industry follow 1910 standards, uh, 1926 requirements may come up um, during outages or other non-routine work on site and should be considered as well. Uh, another good source is the NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association, uh, it's a great source. Uh, they address things like dust accumulation, uh, which in a normal facility is is uh, a part of you know a minor housekeeping issue, but in some environments it can lead to disastrous explosions uh, and fires uh, because uh, it's so prolific. So there's a lot of great resources, and besides the standards themselves, which are good to be familiar with, OSHA also has fact sheets and and other. Uh, useful uh, tools that you can utilize for everything from training uh, to bolstering your program to raising awareness, uh, you know, to using job aids or, or you know, uh, toolbox training, different things like that. So a lot of good resources, obviously, NSC, ASSP, um, uh, a lot of good uh, resources out there from a um, organizational standpoint. Well, Carrie, thanks so much for sharing your insights with us this month on The Safe Side, and uh, we appreciate you being with us. Sure, appreciate you inviting me on. Last month, we started a new segment on this program called What Do We Learn? Uh, the title is pretty self-explanatory. We go around the horn and talk about some things that we learned on the job or away from it, uh, and I'll kick this off. I think to dovetail with what I talked about last month with um, kind of the difficulties of getting around for people with physical limitations. I mean, that kind of continued into this month, but I, I wanted to, to talk about a topic that uh, 
um, about care caregivers and just kind of I, a new perspective again, just like it was for uh, physical limitations last month for me. I just, you know, my, my situation is temporary. My wife had knee surgery and I just, you know, I thought about just how difficult it is out there for people who have a more permanent kind of caregiving role and just kind of, you know, the sacrifices that they all make. And it's just, it's kind of breathtaking in a way. I mean, I'm, I, like I said, I did it for, I've done it for weeks and for people that have to do it for months and years, you know, I, I really, I really take my hat off to, to those people. And I, you know, I really, I really can kind of, I feel like empath, empathize just a little bit and like 1%. Um, so that, you know, that's just, it's, yeah, it's incredible. So thank you for all the caregivers out there for, all that you do for the the people that you love and, and for, and for if, you know, if your caregiving is a job and, you know, again, just thank you. And I'll throw it to Kevin. Certainly. Well, no, but before taking it and going a different way, I'll stay with that. No, I would echo what you said. You mentioned maybe being 1%, I might be a fraction of that. Um, my, you know, the last few months have brought some transition in the last year. Plus my dad's had some health issues that have required him to, transition to um, assisted living. And, you know, as mentioned before, I'm in St. Louis and we're all in suburban Chicago or in Allen's case, the city itself. So I'm not too far from home and can get home when I can. But um, no, it's just when I had been home before this move, doing some of those things and marveling at what my sister was doing on a more full-time basis. So yeah, I would echo what Alan said again about caregivers and and caregiving. but quickly, um, what I had learned was something interesting that was in our news alert online. Um, it was story had written about a, a letter that some uh, some lawmakers had written to Congress about uh, gender inequities in vehicle safety, namely with crash test dummies. Um, it, it's there spelled out in the story. I won't take any more time, you know, telling something telling you something about what you might read. But it was very interesting, basically spelling out that through um, these years of, of doing standard five-star vehicle testing that the, the dummies, especially, you know, both male and female, but female especially, were just completely disproportionate and using the, you know, the dimensions of an average male or female from years ago, from, from the 70s. I think uh, we had reported, and this is via the NHTSA website, but the, the female crash test dummies were four feet, 11 inches tall and 108 pounds. And according to CDC, that's you know, well short and, um, you know, much lighter than, than the average uh, U.S. woman today. So just interesting things, things that, as the lawmakers indicate, you don't necessarily think about with vehicle safety. So they're trying to shed some light there. And um, when I filed the, the NA, of course, I was being glib and I included the obligatory photo of Brad Roberts, who is the singer for the Canadian rock group Crash Test Dummies, which is probably what people still might think about, even though they, uh, their claim to fame, at least in the U.S., was a while ago. Uh, Barry, how about yourself? Well, Kevin, I wanted to share um, something that I wrote this past month for our news alert online, um, and it involves construction workers and, and what's being called take-home toxins. Um, this is a study out of Boston, uh, Boston University, excuse me, Boston University and Harvard University researchers teamed up and they visited the homes of 27 workers, 21 in construction, and they collected dust samples um, and made observations around the home. And what they identified is that construction workers were much more likely to bring home um, some of these toxic metals. And, And researchers 
identified and measured 30 different toxic metals. And the fact that construction workers are bringing these home um, does impact their families. Um, and results show that construction workers had much higher concentrations than workers, say, in janitorial and auto repair jobs of uh, chemicals and toxins such as arsenic, chromium, copper, manganese, lead, nickel, and tin dust. Um, and it's a very fascinating study. So if folks want to check it out, um, the headline is Construction Workers, Families at Risk of Take-Home Toxins Study Finds. Um, so feel free to check that out. It's a really interesting study. And that's what I learned this month. Well, thank you, gentlemen, especially for the uh, 90s nostalgia from Kevin. I, I really appreciate that. If you want to share something you've learned or have other thoughts, send them to us at safehealth at nsc.org or use the hashtag SafeSide on social media. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's episode. We know that your time is valuable and we appreciate you spending some of it with us. If you'd like to send us some feedback, email us at safehealth at nsc.org. We'd also appreciate you sharing a rating and a review of this podcast. As discussed at the top of the show, June also is National Safety Month, and we'll give you one more reminder about our series of four mini-episodes available this month. These will cover musculoskeletal disorders, workplace impairment, injury prevention, and slips, trips, and falls. For more information and resources, please visit nsc.org nsm. To find stories such as our feature on inexperienced workers and the latest news from around the occupational safety world, Visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Also, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Original music for this podcast was composed by friend of the podcast, Steve Maslin. Thank you, Steve. We'll be back next month with another episode to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile a bit. In the meantime, feel free to tell a fellow safety pro about this podcast. And remember, please stay on the safe side.